1: Hey y'all, welcome to the Southern Appalachian Herbal Podcast. I'm Judson Carroll and I'm an herbalist. I'm also a wild crafter, a gardener, and herb grower. I'm coming to you from high atop the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, just a stone's throw from the Tennessee line overlooking the Pisgah National Forest, absolutely surrounded by the bounty of God's green earth i spent most of my life wandering these mountains and learning about plants from the old timers and all sorts of characters. On this show, we'll talk about herbs and how to use them, how to find them, how to grow them, how to make preparations. We'll talk about a lot of things. We can also talk about permaculture, homesteading, foraging, and living off the land. Most anything, really. You can email me at Herbs at gmail.com if you have a question or a comment. You can also contact me through the Grow Network, where I'm a regular contributor and a moderator for the forums. And my blog is, of course, Herbs at blogspot.com. All right, y'all. I'm going to sit my guitar down, and let's talk about herbs. Hey, y'all welcome to this week's show. Today is finally the day for the big announcement. I have just released uh, my new book. It's Herbal Medicine for Preppers, Homesteaders, and Permaculture People. Pay- feedback has been really good. People are really enjoying this book, and it's very, very gratifying, well, to get the feedback, of course. This has been a huge project for me. I have been writing, I mean, sometimes 10, 12 hours a day. I wanted to get this one out as soon as possible because I feel very strongly that this book is really needed right now. Um, I mean, y'all know what's going on in the world, okay? As as we sit here today, um, half the world is expecting a war to break out between China and t- Taiwan any minute. No one knows what that means. Some people are saying it could be World War Three. Okay, I'm not going to freak out. Don't want anybody else to freak out. Here in our own country, uh, the economy is going down the toilet <laughs> as fast as it possibly can. Inflation's going through the roof, and people are losing their jobs because they have a moral or a uh, physical, uh, a medical objection to taking a vaccine. Uh, We're talking vaccine mandates now. There are legitimate reasons why people have concerns about uh, any number of vaccines, really, not just this one in particular. I have very strong concerns about taking such vaccines. I also have a moral objection to this vaccine being made from aborted fetal cells. Other people have other objections. Um, a, A very valid one, in my opinion, is, hey, I've already had COVID. I have good, strong, natural immunity. On any given day, <laughs> you know, they'll say natural immunity is good or natural immunity is no good or this vaccine is good. I think uh, Iceland actually just banned the Moderna vaccine because it's causing heart inflammation. On the same day, I believe our government started saying that the Moderna vaccine should be given to children under the age of 12. You know, people are freaked out. You know, I, I I'm neither pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine in general. I understand both sides of the issues and like I said, I have my own personal issues. but way anyway, you look at it, it is in my opinion, you're right what you put in your body. your medical decisions are your own decisions. I think it's very scary when people start taking away our medical decisions from us. you know the look up Nuremberg uh, you know, really. There are actually international laws to prevent that from happening now. But in this day and age, who knows what's going to happen, right? So they said uh, 10% of parents are now homeschooling their children. I think that is fantastic. I believe strongly in you know a loving, benevolent God that intends everything for our good. No matter how bad things get, there is an upside. There is a positive we can take out of it. The public education system, I mean, it is an absolute disaster. And if more parents will start homeschooling their kids and uh, teaching them to actually read and write and do math, you know, things like that, and uh, forming a stronger bond with their kids and, and molding them and giving them moral instruction, I can't see anything but good coming out of that for our country. I can't see anything but good coming out of that for the world. You know, you never know what kid could discover the cure for these horrible diseases that never would have gotten the chance if he went through uh, the standard public education system, never taught basic science, never taught logic and reason and how to think. Those are very important things. You know, look at the uh, first hundred years of this country and see all the incredible things that we did and look at us now. Yeah, we got the internet. Everybody has all the knowledge in the world right at their fingertips. And this is probably the dumbest generation that's ever lived in this country. People have no creativity. The music is horrible. The, there are no good books being written. There are no good films being made. The engineering, the feats of engineering, like you know, the Hoover Dam or the, oh, the Brooklyn Bridge, for instance. We don't see those anymore. Now this is going to be you know, a public works project that takes 100 years to complete and $500 billion, and it's going to probably fall apart the next day. We've lost so much in such a short time, just the last 40 or 50 years. And if this is an opportunity to bring it back, to get it back, it could be the greatest thing, honestly. And for people to start um, thinking independently, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, are going to lose their jobs over Mandates and um, hopefully, you know, God willing, we can uh, get a little better business climate, a little better economic situation in a few years. And maybe those people will become entrepreneurs. You know, maybe they'll become uh, people that start new businesses and hire new people and become just such a great positive force in their community. You know, I often think about my uh, grandparents, my great grandparents. You know, the South was devastated after the Civil War. We went through the Civil War, went through Reconstruction, barely got on the, on our feet, and then the Great Depression comes along. You know, the South was, there's a, there's a reason they used to associate the South with poverty. And, you know, before the Civil War, the South had much more money than the North, and after the Civil War, the South had much less money than the North. But my great-grandparents, they were farmers. They, uh, my Great grandfather on the other side, he would um, he he learned the timber industry. He would go out and cut wood. Well, he learned to mill wood. He could set up a a sawmill and mill wood. He could then learn to build houses, and he did. He built houses and he sold them and he rented them out to people. Uh, He ran a general store for a while. He became fairly affluent in the community on all sides. I got great grandparents that um, basically had community towns named after the family last name built the churches uh, built the schools you know they were their influence in the community was uh, absolutely indispensable they employed people they helped people they made sure the kids were educated and they made sure people had places to go to church and I don't just mean their own denomination. I mean, you know, my grandfather grew up with a uh, a black man who was the son of some folks that worked for my great-grandfather, and they were good friends. And when my grandfather uh, learned uh, brick masonry and his uh, black friend had become a minister, well, he just went and built a church for him, okay? I mean, there was not a time, day or night, when a knock couldn't come on the front door at my grandparents' house, somebody looking for some kind of help. I mean, it would be a medical emergency. It would be somebody had lost their job and they needed my grandfather to help to find a job. It could be uh, somebody that needed, had a financial emergency and and needed some money. It could be somebody that um, needed food. And my grandmother always made extra food. I mean, it could be anything you can imagine. So I'm looking at this as an opportunity for all these people who had been stuck in a career path. And I know it's painful, and I I feel absolutely sorry for people who are losing their jobs. I've been there. I mean, I I started a business uh, that failed in the last um, economic collapse. What was that, around 2008? Uh, I know what it's like to lose everything in the blink of an eye, basically, and then to have to work jobs you don't want to pay off debt. I've been there, and I did it. So I totally understand. But if these people can take this as an opportunity, To learn a new skill, to start a new business, to become that influential figure in that community, that's fantastic, right? I mean, it's gotta be fantastic if government doesn't prevent it from happening through regulation and taxes. So, with that in mind, I think my book is coming out at the exact perfect time because we don't know what's gonna happen. You know, the economy could get bad. You know, people may not be able to afford doctors and medications. They may have to learn to do things on their own, right? Um, People spending more time with their family and their kids. Somebody gets hurt and you need no first aid. Um, I've got a lot of information on herbal first aid in this book. If something were to really go horribly bad, like if China invades Taiwan and, you know, or our economy just tanks, if OPEC says they're going to, Mark the value of oil to a different currency than the U.S. dollar, and suddenly the price of gas triples overnight. Um, you know the supply chain has been an issue. There, uh, the shelves have been empty. We could be in a situation. And I hope we're not. But we could easily find ourselves in a situation where you can't go to the doctor, uh, where you can't go to a pharmacy, and um, you can't have medicine delivered to your house. Okay, if things get so disrupted. So my book comes out, I've worked very hard to make sure it comes out at this perfect time. <laughs> There's actually a, a saying people use, they say it's serendipitous, right? Uh, that's actually an old story. It's the first detective novel ever written about these princes of serendip who um, had a philosophy of basically taking advantage, being prepared to take advantage of the right moment at the right time and, you know, that's preparedness that's the prepper side of this book let me tell you a little bit about the book i think you're going to love it and the the ebook is only 9.99 okay $9.99 you can buy it off my site uh, you know my blog you can print it out if you want to um, unfortunately the only print on demand option i could find was amazon i hate to do business with amazon but if you really just want a paperback copy you can get it off of amazon it's going to cost you i think 10 99. And, you know, Amazon keeps money. If you really want a paperback copy, I wanted to make that available. This book covers so many just essential skills and herbs that you're going to need. I start off with sort of, well, basically what I've just told you, why you should learn herbal medicine why you might need to be your own doctor, why you might need to care for your family. And I talk about, uh, you know, a lot of the forces that put us in this situation, and it's sort of like the philosophy of the book, you know. That's my introduction. But then I got straight into herbal preparations. I tell you, you know, step by step, how to make uh, tinctures, how to make teas or infusions, how to make decoctions, how to make salves, lotions, how to make... uh, Poultices, washes, uh, I mean, everything you could possibly imagine. I got double extracts, triple extracts, how to make herbal beers and wines. I mean, if it's an herbal preparation that you need to know, it's in there. I'll tell you how to make capsules and pills and lozenges, syrups, liniments, <laughs> oil infusions, herbal soaps, um, various. Uh, you know, aromatherapy, smelly items, which is uh, put in that category. That's actually what I call it. I call it smelly things. The things, uh, you know, being a, a guy, I don't really use a whole lot of, but I give you the information, you know, if you want to make them. Uh, I talk about using herbs as food. I explain what homeopathic and, uh, flower remedies are all about. If you are a prepper, right? You're a person who is preparing for an event. Fill in the blanks, whatever that event is to you. Is it um, a hurricane? Is it a war? Is it an economic collapse? Is it a, you know, you always joke about the zombie apocalypse. These are the preparations that you want to have on hand. And uh, most preppers will buy a lot of things and stock up on them. And this tells you what to use for what purpose. If you want to make them yourself, I'll also tell you how to do it. So, I mean, you know, that in itself, it's, I would consider this an essential guide for anybody that uh, needs to know about herbal medicine, whether you're buying them or you're making them. Then I get into herbal first aid. Okay, I tell you about herbs to stop bleeding, herbs that help you disinfect wounds, herbs that help heal wounds. It's one of the most amazing things in herbal medicine. Uh, we can actually use a plant like comfrey to close a wound and cause it to heal so much faster. Then if someone was just using standard, you know, first aid, put some Neosporin on there or something. Um, herbs that help with bruises and sprains, herbs from burns, rashes, bites and stings. I cover, you know, just uh, basic, uh, you know, wasp stings and such up to poisonous spiders. Uh, I talk about dog bites, uh, rabies, <laughs> um, even poisonous snakes cover everything under the uh, category of bites and stings. Cover uh, Herbs for eye injuries, irritations and infections, Uh, sore throats, herbs that help with the sore throat. And uh, you know, I've explained before, in a bad situation a sore throat can actually be deadly. If that tissue gets so swollen you can die from a sore throat. If you have the right herbs on hand, totally treatable, easy, you know. Get through it and get back on your feet pretty quickly. Uh, Herbs for the lungs, for congestion, for bronchitis, asthma, you know, pneumonia, pleurisy. Uh, I've had all those before, and I can, I can tell you exactly what I use to treat them. Herbs to help with blood pressure and anxiety. You can certainly imagine in a stressful situation that blood pressure and anxiety, even up to like panic attacks and such, could be a huge problem. So we talked about that. Uh, herbs that can help with shock herbs that help bring down fevers or break a fever, Um, herbs for diarrhea, herbs for kidney and bladder issues. I mean, that's another thing that a lot of people experience is kidney stones and such, bladder infections. Uh, Again, if you can't get to a doctor or you cannot get something from a pharmacy, there are so many herbs. You walk out the door and on any summer day, you're going to be surrounded by herbs that are useful for kidney and bladder issues. In the wintertime, you're still going to be surrounded by herbs that are useful for kidney and bladder issues, because whereas in the summertime, you might be looking at dandelions and Canadian flea bane, for instance, Uh, that's just two of probably two dozen herbs that you might find. Um, In the wintertime, you're going to be looking at uh, juniper berries or pine needles, again, uh, or several, actually several trees are are very useful for that. So year round, you got stuff. Uh, Herbs that help with frostbite herbs for pain, and this is a big, long section. <laughs> As we know, pain is a problem, and pain is, can be debilitating. Uh, pain needs to be dealt with in several different ways, depending on the severity of pain, whether it's just a bruise or a sprain, or it's a chronic pain, your know, a broken bone, or uh, you know just a really uh, bad arthritis. You know, we, we talk about how to deal with pain. I give you sort of my whole philosophy of herbal homesteading, okay? If you want to get the difference between, in my opinion, a prepper to a homesteader, the prepper is preparing, okay? The homesteader has made preparedness a part of his lifestyle. Uh, You're growing more of your own food. Well, you're also going to be growing more of your own herbs. And you're going to be looking more, instead of uh, acute conditions, which is what we really cover in the herbal first aid part, you're looking at more your common conditions for yourself and your family. What do you deal with on a regular basis? You know, does somebody in your family get the flu once a year? Are you getting colds? Do you have bad allergies? Um, are there women's issues, men's issues, children's issues, so many complaints that are common to kids? This is all covered in this section. I talk about herbs for sleep. You know, you're not going to be healthy if you don't get a good night's sleep on a regular basis. And, um, you know, I, I talk about antiviral herbs. So whether it's colds and flus or it's other viruses, you know, the ones we're all afraid of right now, I cover herbs that are antiviral and these herbs are strong. These are what I use and what I turn to. In my opinion, they're better than any pharmaceutical, but that's just my opinion. You know, as with everything I do as an herbalist, I can't diagnose or treat any condition. I can't give you advice. I can tell you what I use. I can tell you what's been used historically and you have to do your own research well in this book i give you the reasons these herbs work how they've been used and you can start exploring and going down this path and you can decide what herbs you want to have on hand whether that means buying in bulk and uh, making tinctures or that means having a nice herb garden the women's health section is certainly longer than the men's health section as I say, surprise, surprise! Women are more complicated than men. <laughs> In this section, uh, and and the children's the children's health section, I really get into a lot of the German folk medicine. Now, y'all know my tradition is Appalachian herbalism, but I was also so fortunate, so blessed to grow up with a lot of um, immigrant families from Germany, Austria, Switzerland, uh, Central Europe. You know, Poland, Czechoslovakia. And they still had a tradition of German folk medicine. Uh, I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, I know I've written about it, that one day when I was maybe 15 or 16, out lost on a, a trail in the woods, <laughs> and I used to just wander off in any direction and get lost and find my way back. That was kind of a, almost a hobby. <laughs> I met a, uh, an old man, maybe 70, 75 years old, who had retired from the park service. And he was from a German family. And um, here he was about my height, but a little stooped, was hiking at about twice my pace. <laughs> I mean, he was outpacing me and talking constantly and not getting out of breath. And just a fascinating man. And uh, he had only had one cold in his entire life
2: our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. And he explained
1: to me all about um, German folk medicine and the Father NAPE's water cure um, all the herbs they use, just home remedies. So I became very interested in German folk medicine at that time and learned as much as I could. And in this section, I really get into advice from Father Nate, um, um, Father Kunzel. You know, I've written, co-wrote a book on the herbs and weeds of Father Kunzel. We got some excerpts from that on specific conditions. Uh, Maria Trevan, she's widely quoted in this section. I always say if you're going to buy one herb book, start with Maria Trevins, help or help through God's pharmacy she has several similar titles well now I could say by my book and Maria Trevins' book <laughs> another one that's really uh, quoted from extensively and here is brother Aloysius brother Aloysius was a protege of father Nape he got more into the herbs uh, father Nape used um, well, a significant number of herbs I think he may have maybe 50 herbs in his book and his was really the uh, a lifestyle of Strengthening the Constitution, toughening this Constitution through uh, bathing in cold water and walking barefoot and such as that. I mean, and it yeah, that stuff really works. Trust me. I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. When I tell you this old man had only had one cold in his entire life, he still lived that way, bathing in cold water, walking barefoot, even in the snow, and sleeping in the wintertime under blankets with the windows open. No heat. He had that does actually strengthen your immune system. So his uh, father name's protege was Brother Aloysius. He was I uh, believe Swiss. His book had over three hundred herbs in it, and um, I got a, a a reprinted copy from his book that was written around nineteen hundred, and I I, um, I quote pretty extensively from all of these works in this section. So you're not taking my word for stuff because I'm a single guy. I don't have a wife or kids. You know I cannot tell you as an authority, what works for a woman or what works for a kid. But, you know, Maria Trevin raised a family and these uh, German folk medicine priests, they were actually working as doctors, treating men, women and children uh, constantly. And I I also quote from um, Rosemary Gladstar um, and and recommend some of her books and Susan Weed's books for women's issues specifically. But there's a ton of information in this section, too. It's about a third of the book, really. And even there's even a little um, yeah, recommendations on herbal animal care, um, veterinary. And we talk about a lot of chronic ailments and how they become so prevalent over the last 100 years. You know, this, uh, this statistic is probably going to shock you. But before, just say 1900, there were really no diagnosed cases of type 2 diabetes in the United States. First one that really came to prominence was a man named Diamond Jim. Diamond Jim owned restaurants and ate these huge tables full of foods, just stacked high with desserts every day. Not only the first real documented case of type 2 diabetes, The first man in the United States to have a modern prostate surgery. The first man in the United States to die from um, kidney failure related to type 2 diabetes. And he had, of course, high blood pressure and an enlarged heart. The uh, plague of diseases in the United States these days, high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, prostate cancer, and other cancers. Well... You know one big thing that changed between, say, 1800 and 1900? All right, in 1700, the average sugar consumption was around four pounds a year per person. By 1800, the average American consumed 18 pounds of sugar per year. By 1900, the figure rose to 60 pounds of sugar per year. And do you know how much sugar we eat right now? Seriously? Seriously? The average American consumes approximately 152 pounds of sugar per year, which makes up 40% of our calories. Wow. Now, (laughs) these uh, statistics, you have to look at them, they're kind of interesting. Like, say, during the World Wars, where things were rationed, sugar consumption dipped. Uh, During Reconstruction, after the Civil War, sugar consumption dipped. That puts my great grandparents in an era where they were not eating a whole lot of sugar. My great-grandparents lived to be in their late 90s and around 100. My grandmother loved her cakes and sweets, and she was an excellent cook. Always had a cabinet full of cookies and everything. She only lived to be in her 80s. Um, Currently, the average age uh, of men make it to about mid-70s. Women make it to about late 70s. A lot of their last years are spent in a nursing home under tons of medication and basically prisoners to a hospital bed big thing that changed two big things really sugar consumption and consumption of antibiotics that kill our gut bacteria i really get into this chapter a lot and i don't you know i don't browbeat you about diet or anything i mean i love chocolate (laughs) i absolutely love chocolate um But, you know, this sugar is hidden in everything from the beverages we drink. I mean, even sausage, you know, I I like to make my own sausage. And someone asked me, why does your sausage brown up, you know, like uh, as evenly as store-bought sausage? And I said, well, let's find out. Looked at the store-bought sausage label. That sausage is full of sugar. You wouldn't even think there's sugar in sausage, would you? (laughs) You wouldn't think there's sugar in the, the buns that your hamburgers come on. There's sugar in everything. And so I really talk about how chronic disease is related to, you know, lack of sleep, excess consumption of sugar, and um, poor gut health because of well, not only what we eat, we're not eating enough fermented foods, but all the antibiotics. And I, and I talk a lot about fermented foods. Fermented foods make a huge difference in your health. Um, I've said before that my asthma, which was horrible as a kid, and I was on a lot of medication for it, I was able to stop using all medications for my asthma once I started um, eating fermented foods like sauerkraut, fermented pickles, uh, drinking water kefir, or kefir, and make kombucha. The fermented foods strengthened my gut health, strengthened my immune system, calmed my immune system, so my lungs weren't flaring up every time I encountered an allergen. There are a few herbs I take, too, and, well, they're discussed in the book as well. But really, you know, really important section of the book. Then I talk about permaculture. you know, I'll tell you what permaculture is and how you can incorporate herbs into permaculture. You know, first and foremost, uh, permaculture is a design science. I give an example in the book. I say, you know, for centuries, having a nice big house on the top of a hill has been a sign of wealth. You know, it's been a sign that the person has arrived in the world. Well, if you think in that mindset, all right, the man builds his house up on top of It's going to be more exposed to cold winds in the winter. It's going to be exposed to the hot sun in the summer. So it's going to take more energy and more uh, money to heat. Water is going to have to be pumped up to the house from a well. That's going to be more electricity to run that pump. The driveway is going to be steeper. The walkways are going to be steeper. It's going to take more personal energy to get up to that house and down from that house. And, you know, that man is going to have to eventually either leave that home or hire a lot of help if he's going to stay in that. Home. So with a permaculture mindset, we're going to look at this and we're going to think, OK, how do we work more with what we have in front of us? How do we work with nature to make things a little easier? Right. So. Let's come down the hill a little bit so we can shelter the house from winter winds. Let's plant some trees and everything to shelter the house from the summer sun. Let's position the windows uh, so the sun angle can be taken advantage of. We get sun coming in in the winter to help warm the house, and we have shade in the summer to help um, block the sun a little bit and help cool the house. We might have a rainwater catchment system as opposed to relying exclusively on a well. Either way, the house being further down the hill is going to require less energy to pump water up the hill. Maybe we put a pond at the base of that hill so that we can get reflected sun off the pond in the wintertime, so we can have the cooling effect of the pond in the summertime, and so that we have extra water storage. Maybe we tear things and put in berms and swales so that we have our food growing all around us. Um... We catch all the water that comes onto that property and hold it and soak it into the ground. We've got um, maybe a gray water system, which is how you can use some of your non-toxic household water, plus compost and uh, all kinds of stuff. We've got, you know, maybe some chickens and such. We're putting nutrition back into the soil. We're using a deep mulch system, so we're not having to soak everything in fertilizers and chemicals, which cost a lot of money and aren't really good for us. And we're using chickens to do some of the work, you know, of keeping the, the the bugs down and uh, the weeds down. Maybe we're using a few goats, you know. Everything is sort of coming into this design science of having greater abundance with less work, uh, more for less effort. So that's sort of a permaculture mindset uh, in a very simplistic term, right? You know, my grandfather was a real pioneer of permaculture before it was really even called that. Our homestead, his farm was set up in what we now call permaculture zones, right? Zones are a way of thinking where to position things on your property. Well, you know, you could say zone zero, zero is yourself, right? You're the center of your design and you have to think about what your needs are. Zone zero would be the inside of your home. Well, I talk about all the herbs you can grow in pots and how to uh, position them so you can move them around and how you can use them. I have a huge section on the medicinal benefits of uh, culinary herbs, all the herbs we cook with and what they can be used for medicinally. And I talk about how we can grow them, you know, either in the house or in zone one, immediately outside the house. I explain herb spirals, trellises, you know, garden design, how to keep pests out, you know, a lot of good stuff.
0: Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.
1: Then, you know, we get into zone two and we're getting more into our our staple crops. And here we might have our chickens. I explain what a chicken tractor is, how you can use the chicken to help fertilize and scratch up the soil. Talk a little bit about hedgerows and how, you know, that's actually a pretty good area to trap small wild game for meat. So you've got free food coming in but also how you can get a lot of medicinal herbs growing right in there. I mean, you've got your elderberries. Elderberries are such a powerful antiviral. But, I mean, in this section of just Zone 1 to Zone 2, you could have hundreds of herbs growing. I mean, just about everything you need. And then, you know, we're moving out more into where you're going to have your uh, livestock and maybe some ponds. And then we talk about the, you know, woods. Essentially, five zones. Uh, they're based on how often you frequent that area of your property. So, most people would say that zone five, which is wilderness, is somewhere you don't go very often, but you go to get firewood and hunt and um, fish, you know, have streams like I do, and just uh, enjoy nature and recharge. But as an herbalist in zone five, or where we're going to have so many of our valuable herbs, you know, this is where I find ginseng and, and, and golden seal and the aurelias and, you know, all the. I don't actually harvest golden seal, but (laughs) all the adaptogens and aurelias. And uh, I have a big section on um, adaptogens, herbal energetics, uh, medicinal mushrooms, you know, all this I kind of put under the permaculture section of this book. So, you know, it's a a big book. Um, (laughs) I end it. I talk about my herbal tradition and I think why it really matters what a person's herbal tradition is. You know, a lot of us, I mean, I even spent about 10 years studying traditional Chinese medicine before coming back to my roots. Uh, my roots in the Appalachians and, you know, in German folk uh, medicine as well. Um, I firmly believe that the herbs that you harvest from your own property, that you're growing or you find in the woods, the herbs you grow with are going to be better for you. I don't know if i can prove this concept necessarily but i think that the herbs the plants that grow in the same conditions in which we live and experience the same stresses and change of seasons just work better with our bodies you know all herbalists to admit that herbs harvested at a specific time or a specific place may be more potent or less potent i think the herbs that we grow with are very important you know i mentioned before that I don't really store a lot of herbs. Um, my tradition is really walking outside and finding the herb I need at the time or harvesting seasonally. So uh, I have something that's harvested in the summer available in the winter when I might need it for food, right? So my philosophy of uh, herbalism is really walk outside and find what I need at the time or find what I know I'm gonna need a little later in the year. And that's what I'd like to get people in the mindset of, so that we are more independent more self-reliant, uh, resilient is a good way to put it. I don't think there's ever been a time um, since I started studying herbs at about the age of 15 and, well, maybe took me a few years to learn, right? But ever been a time since I've really used herbs for my health care exclusively and those in my inner circle, and I haven't been able to walk outside and find at least one, probably two or three herbs that could be used for that condition. And that's what I'd like to help you be able to do. That, to me, is true uh, resilience, you know, so that you're able to adapt to whatever situation you find yourself in. And lastly, I cover a fairly um, controversial topic these days, is herbal medicine Christian? The truth is that herbal medicine from the time of, a, well, just before the fall of Rome up until around 1914, 1920, when the you know, modern pharmaceutical and medical industry tried to outlaw herbalism. Herbal medicine has been practiced by priests and monks and nuns and Christian households and family members all through that time. It's this big myth that at some point the church tried to ban herbal medicine. You know, look, I can pull out King's Medical Dispensatory from 1898 or even later ones in the 1920s, and 90% of the medicine in there was made from plants. There was absolutely no way any church, I don't care if it's Catholic, Lutheran, um you know, Anglican, whatever you want to name, could ban herbal medicine without banning all medicine previous to the modern pharmaceutical industry. I mean, that's just an absolute myth. The ones who did try to ban herbal medicine were actually the progressive socialists and the ones that said better living through science, you know, but it fell out of uh, use for a, a time, I'm just say between 1920 and 1960. There weren't a whole lot of people using herbs. That's, you know, basically barely more than a generation, two, two generations, I suppose. And when the baby boomers, the hippies decided to go with their back to the earth movement in the 1960s and 70s, um, and they got into herbs. Well, they also brought with them a left-wing ideology and a uh, feminist ideology and a a big um, bias against Western culture and Christianity. And they began perpetuating this myth that herbal medicine was anti-Christian or not in compliance with Christianity, bringing in New Age ideology and witchcraft and all that. And really, a lot of Christians in the past uh, 20, 30, 50 years have begun to believe the same thing. And it's so wrong. I mean, it's so false. There are two patron saints, at least, of herbal medicine. Um, the Benedictines preserved medicine. Uh, the, there would be no modern medicine had Christians, and I'm including you know, all denominations of this, not practiced herbal medicine, for the last 2000 years before the hippies came along and decided they had rediscovered it. Okay. I mean, or or come up with it on their own. I mean, I have no disrespect for people of other ideologies and a lot of my friends really do find themselves on that, you know, left side of the spectrum. I still have respect for the work they do that's good, but I want Christian people like the ones that taught me herbal medicine, the mountain people that never stopped practicing herbs, I want Christian people, hardworking people, rural people, people that, you know, vote for Donald Trump and drive pickup trucks. You just have just as much access to herbal medicine as to some hairy armpit girl in Asheville. Never been to Asheville, North Carolina. You cannot imagine what it's like. (laughs) As a musician, I spend a lot of time in Asheville. It's a pretty freaky place. Christianity and herbalism, really go hand in hand because God made everything. And if God wants us to be happy and healthy, he gave us the herbs to make us happy and healthy. And all we have to do is learn to use them. And when we do that, we're really being stewards. We're we're doing what we were called to do. And so I think it's very important that everybody understand really the Christian history of herbal medicine. And so with obviously no offense intended to anyone, even though this is sort of a controversial subject, I just want to some basic bullet points, just a, a really brief history of herbal medicine over the last 2,000 years or so. So anyway, y'all, I think you're going to love this book. I I would absolutely buy it if I had not written it. <laughs> like I said, it's only $9.99. You can go to uh, Southern Appalachian southernappalachianherbs.blogspot.com. And uh, I really believe that, you know, whether whether something happens or not, Hopefully, everything goes along smoothly and things get back to normal. And You're still going to find a use for this book. You're still going to find tons of information just for basic first aid situations and treating yourself and your family for common ailments, ailments, illnesses. But if things were to really get bad, um, you're going to want a copy of this book, honestly. I mean, if, if the, you know, bleep hits the fan, as a lot of people are pretty freaked out that it might, or, or if, you know, it's Armageddon, um, if you're it, if you're here the next day, <laughs> you're going to want a copy of this book. Uh, I feel confident in saying this book could actually save your life. So with that in mind, how's that for sales pitch? <laughs> Y'all have a great week. And I will see you next time. Have a good one. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or condition. Nothing I say or write has been evaluated or approved by the FDA. I'm not a doctor. The U.S. government does not recognize the practice of herbal medicine and there is no governing body regulating herbalists. Therefore, I'm really just a guy who studies herbs. I'm not offering any advice. I won't even claim that anything I write or say is accurate or true. I can tell you what herbs have been traditionally used for. I can tell you my own experience and if I believe in herbs helped me. I cannot nor would I tell you to do the same. If you use an herb anyone recommends, you are treating yourself. You take full responsibility for your health humans are individuals and no two are identical, what works for me may not work for you. You may have an allergy, a sensitivity, an underlying condition that no one else even shares and you don't even know about. Be careful with your health. By continuing to listen to my podcast or read my blog, you agree to be responsible for yourself, do your own research, make your own choices, and not to blame me for anything ever.